I'd like you to take your Bibles tonight and turn to the book of 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. And I'll be reading tonight from verse 19 to verse 21. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 19. The Bible says, And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for giving your life for your son, for ours. Dear Lord, we are humbled and grateful for the tremendous sacrifice that you made on Calvary's cross to afford us life, an abundant life, a fulfilling life, and to give us eternal life. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your love, your grace, and your mercy towards us. And I pray tonight, dear Lord, as we open the pages of your word, that we would recognize as well that your word is a manifestation of your love towards us, that you would seek to draw us to yourself to have a personal relationship with us. Thank you so much for how you're working in our hearts and lives, for your honor and for your glory. Take full control during this time. May your Holy Spirit have free reign and free course in every heart. Fulfill your will. And I pray that we would be responsive and receptive to your word. Save some lost soul. Stir the hearts of every believer. And we'll be careful to thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. A few days ago, I went to the ATM. And to my surprise, when I swiped my card, I received a message on the screen indicating that my card was not authorized. I figured that it was a mistake, and so I attempted to use it a second time. To my shock and my dismay, on this occasion, the machine canceled the transaction and kept the card. I couldn't believe it. I was left having to walk to another ATM some distance away. There are times when systems and humans that are prone to error that in attempting to authenticate, something goes awry with the process and it does not successfully accomplish the goal of accurately authenticating the individual. An inability to properly authenticate oneself leads to frustration and a denial of access to services and people to whom you would otherwise have access to. In a spiritual context and in a spiritual sense, if you recall the Apostle Paul, upon his conversion, When he was introduced to 
the saints by Ananias, he found such a problem. Given his past reputation, the saints were doubtful about his conversion. However, due to the authenticity of his internal transformation, it wasn't long before the whole world at that time knew who the Apostle Paul was. He was an authentic, born-again, transformed child of God. Amen? It is so important that professing believers are authentic in our attitudes, in our actions, so as not to confuse a lost and dying world and so as not to send mixed signals that would hurt the name of Jesus Christ. The disciple and the apostle John, in addressing this matter of Christian authenticity, deals with it here in the entire epistle of 1 John. We've been engaged in an expository series for quite some time that I've entitled The Christian's Signature. The Christian's Signature. And we understand that a signature authenticates an individual. But John, in this epistle, points out a number of relevant factors that, that, that ought to authenticate the child of God because when God himself uh, indwells us uh, with his divine nature, listen, we ought to show up somewhere that God has done our work in our lives. Amen? And so in chapter 3, we have been looking at a number of authenticated practices that ought to be evident in the life of a child of God. Just by way of review very quickly, we have seen that a child of God, a born-again believer, a, a Christian who is authentic, will love the brethren. Amen? Love is of God. What divine love that God would give his life for mine. Listen, that is the same love that has been shed abroad in our hearts. And so as God has loved us unconditionally, undeservedly, we are to love the brethren. Amen? But secondly, we are to live a holy life. Peter says, as he is holy, we ought to be holy. That God speaking, and I meant that in the, in the book of First Peter, as Peter wrote, uh, listen, as God is a holy God, listen, his character ought to rub off in our lives. We ought to live a holy life. But if we love the brethren, if we endeavor to live a holy life, mark it down, we will be loathed by the world. In other words, we're going to be hated by the world for the stand that we take for the things of God. Why? We are in a spiritual war. And a child of God is a threat to the forces of evil, to the kingdom of Satan. But thank God, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Amen? Uh, if you are hated for the things of God, Jesus says, happy are ye, blessed are ye, when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Amen? A child of God is going to be loathed by the world. 
but an authentic child of God is also going to desire to lay down his or her life for others. You see, as God himself, through his son Jesus Christ, sacrificed his life because of what was done for us on Calvary's cross, it ought to be characteristic of our lives that we desire to sacrifice and lay down our lives for others. But I want you to notice, fifthly, in the verses 19 and onwards in this First John chapter 3, I want you to notice that a child of God is going to be led by the Spirit of God. Amen? We're going to take some time over the next few weeks and look at these verses very closely along with several other passages. Because this matter of being led by the Spirit of God is what is paramount to living a vibrant and successful and triumphant Christian life. My friend, God has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is God's doing. That is without question. That is without controversy. But my friend, in order for the Spirit to work in our lives to lead us, we must let him lead. And we also must be conscious of his voice. We must have the environment and the, the climate in our lives by way of living a holy life so that we can hear the voice of God through the leading of his Holy Spirit. And so we're going to spend some time looking at a number of verses. And I want you to notice in the verses that we read, you would notice that the Bible talks about our hearts. Verse number 19 shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart. And, and, and if you look at these verses, you would understand that, that the God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in what? Spirit and in truth. We're not going to see God physically with our human eyes, but we must be able to, through our spirit, understand the leading and the voice of God. And so God speaks to us by his spirit, to our spirit. And so I want to introduce you tonight, first of all, jot this down as we examine this aspect of being led by the spirit of God, that we'll be led by the spirit of God when we have a spiritual conscience. A spiritual conscience. Now, the dictionary defines conscience as the part of the mind that makes you aware of your actions as being either morally right or wrong. Now, I want us to understand very clearly that the conscience is separate from the Holy Spirit. And we can look at a number of verses because I want to point this out. And so when I say a spiritual conscience, I mean that, that the God's Holy Spirit in working in our lives works in conjunction with our conscience to help us to do what is right. We're going to look at a number of verses here tonight, and I want you to take away from this the clear dichotomy between our conscience and the Holy Spirit. And the reason why we want to examine this biblically and doctrinally, because many falsely believe, believe that once my conscience doesn't bother me, I'm okay. 
And we're going to see tonight that there is a clear distinction, a demarcation between my conscience and the Holy Spirit. And we need to understand the difference. Because understanding the difference will help us in this matter of being led by the Holy Spirit of God. Amen? And so turn with me in your Bibles to John's Gospel, chapter 8. And verse number 9. John's Gospel, chapter 8, and verse number 9. The background to that verse, of course, is where scribes and Pharisees, verse number 3, brought unto Jesus a woman taken in adultery. And seeking to tempt Jesus to trap him. And we understand this story. That Jesus says unto them. Verse number 7. He that is without sin among you. Let him cast the first stone at her. Look what the Bible says in verse number 9. And they which heard it. Being convicted by their what? Their own conscience went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last, and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. Here you have these individuals who had no good intentions, wanting to trap the Lord Jesus Christ. You talk about a evil intention. But yet, they were convicted not by the Holy Spirit, but by their own conscience. The conscience is capable of convicting. The conscience is capable of helping us to discern what is right and what is wrong, even though it is not the person of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at Acts chapter 23 and verse number 1. Acts chapter 23 and verse number 1. The Bible says, And Paul, earnestly beholding the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all, what? Good conscience before God until this day. Now, we know that the Apostle Paul was not born saved. Amen? As a matter of fact, no individual is born saved. I said that facetiously. But here the Apostle Paul is saying uh, to this council, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day, including the time when he was persecuting saints. He was living in good conscience. Because he was of the false notion that he was doing God's billing. But yet, he was doing what was wrong. But yet, he was living in good conscience. Meaning your conscience cannot always be your guide. Amen? Look at Romans chapter 2. And verse 12. 
Romans chapter 2 and verse 12 down to verse 16 says, For as many as have sinned without law, all shall also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves. In other words, he's saying that the Gentiles, as compared in contrast with the Jews, did not have the law as the Jews had. But yet, they still understood some things about right and wrong without having the law. Which, verse number 15, show the work of the law written where? In their hearts, their what? Conscience, also bearing witness, and their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Now notice, it talks about the conscience bearing witness of things that are wrong and things that are right. But notice what he also says of the conscience. That there are times when the conscience either accuses or excuses. So there are times when the conscience sees some things that are wrong. And he says, that's wrong. And he sees some other things and sometimes they're still wrong, but the conscience excuses itself as if that wrong thing is right. Why? The conscience is not the Holy Spirit. Look at Romans chapter 9. And verse number 1. Down to verse number 3. We're just taking some time here to look at some verses to establish that there is a demarcation between the conscience and the Holy Spirit. Verse number one of Romans chapter nine, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. Look at what Paul said. My conscience also, what? Bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Here's what the Apostle Paul is saying in verse number one. That my conscience beared witness. In other words, the Holy Spirit pointed out something to him and the conscience came alongside and said, yes, I agree with what the Holy Spirit said. Different. Separate. Now in this case, The conscience and the Holy Spirit were in agreement. But clearly, they're different. Look at Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 18. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 18. The writer here says, Pray for us, for we trust we have a what? A good conscience in all things, willing to live honestly. In other words, by reference and inference, 
we're praying for a good conscience because it also means that it is possible not to have a good conscience. But it's not possible to have anything but a good Holy Spirit. Amen? You never have to pray for a good Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is God. And God is good, but you have to pray for a good, amen, a good conscience. So I want us to understand that that as it relates to this matter of being led by the Holy Spirit of God, that a spiritual conscience, note this, is governed and guided by the Holy Spirit. So, so, so when it comes to being led by the Holy Spirit, understand this, and you can jot this down, that the Holy Spirit of God ought to govern our spirit. It ought to govern our spirit. In a devotional I came across on crosswalk.com, entitled, What is the Difference Between the Holy Spirit and My Conscience? And this was written by one Chad Napier. It says, the Holy Spirit will always provide a clean conscience. But a clean conscience is not necessarily the product of the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit will always provide a clean conscience. But a clean conscience is not necessarily the product of the Holy Spirit. Thus, a person cannot judge his or her fellowship with Christ with the cleanliness of the conscience. Your conscience can be completely clear, but that does not mean or guarantee that you are led by the Holy Spirit. All right? Now, I want you to notice in relation to the fact that the Holy Spirit or to govern our spirit. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5. And we're setting the foundation because this is something that we will look at over the next several weeks because I believe firmly that oftentimes we are at times confused or misguided by what it means to be led by the Holy Spirit of God. 1 Peter chapter, 1 Timothy rather, chapter 1 and verse 5. Look at what the Bible says. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart. And look at that next phrase. And of a what? Good conscience and of faith unfeigned. Notice the, 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 the conjunctions here of and. Okay? It says charity out of a pure heart. A pure heart comes from a heart that is transformed by the Holy Spirit of God. It says and of a good conscience. In other words, when we allow the Holy Spirit of God to govern our lives, we'll not only have a pure heart, but it will also produce a pure and clean conscience. Amen? And this says, and of faith unfeigned. So when God's Holy Spirit 
governs our lives, bless God, that pure conscience, that clean conscience will be a result. And then look with me at one more passage in Hebrews chapter 10. And look at how the Holy Spirit works in our lives to help us to have a clean and a pure conscience. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 22. It says, Let us draw near with a true heart in what? Full assurance of faith. Okay? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the what? The word of God. So whenever we're going to have full assurance of faith, understand that having that faith is based on something. Faith is always based and placed on something or someone. So when we have faith that is unwavering, it is not based on our feelings, based on our emotions, but it's based on the authority of the word of God. Having our hearts sprinkled from an what? An evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That pure water is symbolic of the word of God. So the word of God works in our hearts to produce faith. That word works in our heart to produce change and transformation. And that word of God in conjunction with the Holy Spirit of God produces a clean conscience sprinkled from an evil conscience. Meaning that the word of God and the Holy Spirit of God transforms our thinking where our conscience is not the same. It's washed. It's cleansed. And so the Holy Spirit of God ought to govern our spirit. It ought to govern our heart. It ought to govern our mind. It ought to govern our consciousness. But notice the second thing and finally here tonight. Holy Spirit of God in leading us not only ought to govern our spirit but it ought to guide our steps. I mentioned one more passage but there is one more I had in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 19 and we look at this in closing. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 19. Look at how important the conscience is and look at how important faith is relying on the word of God and the leading of the Holy Spirit of God. Let's look at verse number 18 for continuity. This is Paul writing to a, uh, his son in the faith, Timothy. He says in verse number 18, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. How are you going to maintain good warfare in, in this spiritual battle in which we engage, Timothy? He says, verse number 19, Holding faith and a good, what? Conscience. Which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. In other words, rather than being governed by the Holy Spirit, which, have, which is, speaks to the conscience, knew what to do in that which is right but rejected it and rejected it and rejected that direction, rejected that leading. And look at what happened. 
made their faith shipwreck, ran aground, went over the cliff, made a mess. Why? Because they did not allow the Holy Spirit of God to lead their lives. A child of God who wants to live a life pleasing to God, who wants to be able to accurately authenticate themselves to others and to themselves is going to desire to be led by the Spirit of God. Do you know that when we don't authenticate ourselves properly, then we confuse others. That an individual may be a child of God, but because of a failure to manifest these simple biblical characteristics can actually appear as a lost person. Because a child of God who's going to be authenticated where an individual can say, wow, I know beyond any shadow of a doubt, that's a child of God. That's a born-again believer is going to be led by the Spirit of God. It's so important that we have an authentic Christian signature because in doing so, as Jesus mentioned in the Sermon on the Mount, it helps us to be light and salt in a dark and a bland world. And I trust that each and every one of us that will be challenged, will be motivated to live a life as a born-again believer, as a Christian that's distinctive, that stands out. Because when that happens, lives will be one to the Lord. You know, this world is looking for a changed life. This world is looking for individuals who will be real with God because that is what this world needs. And may it be that here at Shiloh Baptist Church and wherever an individual may be listening who names the name of Christ, that we, through our lives, written in this world, written in the hearts of others, that we properly represent a Christian signature.